Hello, and welcome to another episode of GradCast. I'm your host, Vicky, and here I have my co-host, Yemen. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, excellent. Excellent. Great. We're also here with previous uh, guest, Alenka. How are you doing? Hi, good. Good to be back. So, Alenka, you are a master's student in history. I sure am. Is I've been right? here in history for quite a while. Oh, yeah? Um, I'm supposed to graduate this year, so... Finally, it'll, it'll be ending my time at Western. Uh, that's always bittersweet, eh? It is. It is. I liked it so much after my undergrad that I decided to stay here for my MA. So it certainly will be bittersweet to have to leave. Okay. Well, so, you know, for those uh, of you who haven't heard your previous episode, so your MA is in history and your specialization, what you're, you're studying is uh, the time period around World War One. That's right. Yes, it is. Uh, it's a little bit uh, the time period before World War One, but the majority of my research is focused on the First World War. Um, but as in history, you kind of need to go before to understand what happened. Oh, of course. So I, I do a little bit of the time uh, before the First World War as well. And what is it about the war, or about this period of time that interests you that you are working on? Um, well, I've always been fascinated with the First and Second World War. Mm -hmm. uh, even in my undergrad, a lot of the times I was taking courses uh, trying to tailor my schedule to focus more on the history of the First and Second World War. Mm -hmm. um, and when it came to starting my uh, my MA, I said to my now supervisor, Professor Jonathan Vance, uh, that I wanted my research to either be about Romanians in the First or the Second World War. So it had something to do with those concepts. So he came up with a database that had mm -hmm. been already compiled for me very nicely uh, by a different historian. Uh, who was doing research on uh, how the Canadian Expeditionary Force, which was the Canadian Army in the First World War, how they refilled uh, the ranks. So when soldiers would get wounded or would die, right. how they would refill, I guess, the, the ranks on the front lines. Um, so he had this database of men who said that they were born in Romania on their mm -hmm. attestation papers. And that's kind of where my research started, and I thought that it was going to stay focused on the First World War. Uh, but when I began my research, I came across a few men who were discharged as enemy aliens. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of interesting and a red flag because I thought to myself, yeah, in the Second World War, Romania was kind of on a questionable side for a right. while. But in the First World War, definitely on the right side from the beginning until <laughs> the end. Yeah. Um, so when Romania entered the war in 1916, they entered on the side of the Allies. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wondered, how was it possible that these guys were discharged as enemy aliens? And I wondered if perhaps this enemy alien narrative went further than just that, and perhaps the, the Romanians also had a part in the uh, internment narrative in the First World War, uh, which is currently mostly dominated by uh, the Ukrainian uh, narrative, the mm -hmm. Ukrainian internment, because most of the Austrians that were interned were Ukrainian. Um, so a lot of the focus has been on their experience in internment, but it appears that there's maybe some experiences that have been missed um, as I'm coming across in my research. So I'm very excited to kind of bring that to light and maybe uh, shake things up in the oh, field. Awesome. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Um, so can you tell us what does it mean to be an enemy alien in the context mm. of like the war in the forces and so on? Um, so once the war began in August of mm -hmm. 1914, um, people who resided in Canada that were had any relations, or, which means that they were of citizenship 
from right. these countries. Um, so either Germany, uh, Austria, Hungary, uh, I guess eventually the Ottoman Empire. So there's a few men that I came across in my research that were Turkish mm-hmm. uh, that were interned. Um, and then eventually the Bulgarians get involved in all that. So, um, yeah. So they belonged to, or, or they were, their nationality was one of the enemy. Yeah. So what would happen was with the Romanians, and, and that's what I was wondering mm-hmm. because um, my my question of when I said I had to kind of go a little bit before the First World right. War to kind of understand what was happening is that the Romanians, the ethnic Romanians who immigrated to Canada before the war um, at the turn of the century were uh, Romanians from the Austro-Hungarian occupied province okay. um, of Bukovina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of them were from Bukovina and uh, Galicia. So most of the Ukrainians coming over were from Galicia. It's mostly Ukrainians populating that area. But the Bukovinians uh, were mostly the Romanians that were kind of coming over. Uh, there were also a few Romanians coming from the Kingdom of Romania, mm-hmm. as I've come across in my research. Um, there hasn't really been much written at all about their experiences, mostly because even in the sim- same way as uh, with the Ukrainians and how the Romanians are kind of like a minority of this big ethnic uh, group, mm-hmm. they were similarly always kind of minorities in uh, an urban setting as well. So when I looked at, for example, Toronto or Montreal, these big cities, there's always uh, other bigger uh, you know, Eastern European minorities. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the Romanians have always been in such small numbers, um, and especially in the time period that I'm looking at, because from what I've seen uh, in the 1920s and into the 30s, there was another wave of immigration. Mm -hmm. um, And this time, in larger numbers, Romanians came over. Um, I was kind of curious to see about Romanians in the Second World War, so that's kind of how I came to that realization. Uh, So it would be interesting to see how that out as well uh, but yeah so in Canada uh, during the First World War uh, there would have been you know almost 200,000 uh, people living in Canada who were not uh, born here and mm-hmm. who had ties with either Germany or Austria-Hungary which were at that time in the eyes of you know homegrown Canadians right um, mm-hmm. you know British British uh, Anglo-Saxon Canadians you know, they were the other and the ethnic other. Um, so, yeah. So then did Romanians pose a threat because they were associated with the Austrian sort of um, ethnic group in that sense? So is that why there was a misperception of Romanians coming into Canada during that time? Yeah. So like I said, because they were living with among, the, you know, as a minority among the other Ukrainians and perhaps Poles and uh, Hungarians, uh, oftentimes they they spoke Ukrainian. They uh, could associate with one another. I've seen many accounts of you know cr- Ukrainian men where uh, marrying Romanian women and vice versa. So they were very much kind of a unit, an an ethnic mm-hmm. unit uh, in Canada, uh, kind of working together. Um, but yeah, the, the biggest thing I, th- I find is the the ignorance that there was mm-hmm. from the host society towards these Eastern Europeans uh, kind of contributed to the lack of understanding, you know, the differences that there was. You know, they weren't mm-hmm. just all Galicians. There, there were, you have to break that up a little bit. You know, there's different ethnicities uh, that you're just kind of labeling with one big umbrella term. 
mostly because I, I think it was because it was hard for them to kind of try to differentiate between all these people. Um, if you take a look at uh, the ethnic makeup of Austria-Hungary in like 1900, it's a mess. There's a mm-hmm. lot of different ethnicities living amongst each other, um, you know, people of all different, you know, now that are all separated in different countries mm-hmm. in the uh, in the Balkan region and the Eastern European region. But at the time, uh, being just these massive empires that were hosting basically all these different ethnicities, they would just get lumped in with whatever mm-hmm. passport perhaps they maybe arrived in Canada with. Um, if at, if that, um, sometimes they could have just been mislabeled. I've uh, seen evidence of uh, Romanians that were born in Romania who were uh, discharged from the Canadian Expeditionary Force for being enemy aliens, uh, which like, that doesn't make sense at all. That shouldn't have happened. Um, and I think that can be accredited a little bit to the ignorance mm-hmm. and not understanding the difference between all these different ethnicities. Um, whereas I can maybe understand a little bit uh, an, a Romanian coming from an Austro-Hungarian province being mislabeled or, or being seen as an enemy alien based on the legal papers that they were holding, mm-hmm. perhaps. Um, that's a little bit, you know, I'm not saying fair, but a little bit more understandable in terms of the Canadian government trying to understand and make sense of these immigrants that were now in very large numbers in Canada at the outbreak of the war, mm-hmm. um, who at the beginning of uh, before the outbreak of the war would have been, you know, very desirable immigrants. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, people that they wanted to have here um, on the prairies and working in mines and uh, in the coal factories and all these places where um, these jobs were not really desirable, but these immigrants didn't really have much from where they came from and they were willing to take on the hardships for the possibility of a better life. Um, so how did that mentality change, do you think? Because at one point you said they were desirable and mm-hmm. now we're labeling them as enemy aliens. We don't even want to understand where they come from and we don't even uh, give these people the opportunity for any sort of redemption after we label them as enemy aliens. So is there? So how did, that, how did we get to that point where we wanted um, certain types of immigrants that were desirable to now we don't want anything to do with them in terms mm-hmm. of our Canadian society. Um, yeah, well, I think it's it's interesting, and I don't think the Canadian government was completely black and white on this matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they realized that there were many, uh, you know, like I said, the Romanian, the ethnic Romanians coming from these Austro-Hungarian occupied provinces, right. if I can call them that, mm-hmm. uh, because ethnically these were Romanian provinces that just from the 1770s had been under their occupation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like how did it happen that, you know, Romanian immigrants were desirable and then rapidly became undesirable? Like what was it just the war that caused that shift? Um, well, certainly in the war, there will be uh, heightened prejudice, especially towards right. the other. Um, in both First and Second World War, you see a heightened paranoia um, towards Germans, mm-hmm. for example, in the mm-hmm. First World War well, and the Second World War, um, that perhaps would otherwise not have been there because, uh, especially in the First World War in that time, Germans and these people would have been at least, you know, white, and they right. would have been more... Uh, acceptable in in Canadian society you know we can assimilate them we can perhaps anglicize their names a little bit uh, you mm-hmm. know 
in a generation we can educate their children they'll be speaking english like us you mm-hmm. know they'll fit in uh so eventually uh once the war breaks out you know these people who would have been desirable immigrants because of their you know farming labor abilities um it doesn't really matter anymore because officially we are at now at war with the country that you have decided to come here from uh, so for the case of many who would have maybe come here uh, looking for a better life, looking to perha- perhaps a- escape oppression mm-hmm. um, as a, un- a minority in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, um, here they come and they have established themselves finally in this new land, and now the war starts and now they're, they're seen as enemies again. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a place where they wouldn't necessarily have already been very favorable, uh, right? They speak differently, they look differently, um, they're not so educated, so it's already uh, a group of people that's going to be tough to assimilate into society. Um, so when the war breaks out, a lot of those people who are already seen as ethnic others, you can really just amplify that a little bit, um, really take out your perhaps uh, racist, um, in ser- some cases, uh, some cases feelings towards these uh, Eastern Europeans and promote your ideas of, you know, a white Anglo-Saxon Canada, which is what, you know, they would have wanted to create in in Canadian society at the time. So you said there was a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of ignorance and like ill will towards uh, Eastern Europeans, Romanian immigrants. do you have an idea of what sort of treatment they would have faced uh, in Canada during this time? Like, I guess you said they were sort of visibly different. They were culturally different. Um, how did, you know, I guess, quote unquote, white Anglo-Saxon just Canadians uh, treat these immigrants to Canada? Um, well, I mean, they, they already would have been looked upon, you know, like I said, a little bit unfavorably mm-hmm. even before the war would have started. But once the war starts, you really have a heightened animosity towards them, especially because once you have all these eligible Canadian, uh, you know, born men or British born men uh, who are eligible to bear arms for Canada and go overseas um, and, you know, wear the uniform, Mm -hmm. whereas there's the, you know, enemy aliens who are not allowed to put on a uniform and are forced to stay in Canada. And perhaps they don't actually end up interned but um, they're not, they then end up, you know, working in, in the labor force or farming and, and providing for the Canadian economy in a wartime mm-hmm. setting, which was useful still. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you have the problem that now you have Canadian soldiers coming home um, from the war, wounded, uh, you know, and not able to uh, really stand seeing this happening seeing you know i went over there to fight and then here i come at home and there's an enemy enemy alien working Mm -hmm. in my field and Mm -hmm. you know working in the mine and um it really heightened that animosity and there were riots um especially out out in i remember in 1916 if i'm correct um there was a, a heightened in the summer of 1916 there was like a heightened animosity towards eastern europeans especially in mm-hmm. the prairies mm-hmm. there was like a riot somewhere out in calgary um and it was especially led by uh soldiers so soldiers that had come back and were really unhappy with the way that things were playing out and um later it kind of i think played into the idea that uh in the election of 1917 when they were trying to decide of 
what are we going to do? Because um, they they're trying to get conscription, um, and they knew that one of the ways to 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 get the vote for conscription would be by appealing to women, specifically the ones that um, had perhaps a son or a husband serving. Um, they were they were given the right to vote um, in the cool. war because the government realized perhaps they would get the outcome that they real they wanted. Um, and at the same time, the voting rights of enemy aliens and citizens that were not naturalized, which mm-hmm. means like accepted or beca- had become citizens, mm-hmm. uh, they had their voting rights taken away uh, in wartime. So I think as the war um, progresses, you can see kind of a heightened um, animosity. And, you know, as the war gro- goes on, you know, these tensions uh, get more and more. Uh, intense to say. So what sort of process do you use to conduct your research? Like you have all these stories about um, the experience of Romanian immigrants, of people, men and women at this time during the war. Where do you get these stories? What sort of documents do you look at? Yeah, well, uh, one of the things that's really fascinating, I think, is um, the incredible stories that historians are able to come up with using just something that someone else would just look at as just a couple of pieces of paper mm-hmm. you know just a few documents and we can tell you this whole story about someone's life um, so for me it originally started like I said with this database um, and with the soldiers uh, CF files mm-hmm. so Library and Archives Canada di- finished digitizing all the soldiers records and files uh, from the First World War as of last summer so my research has really been easy in that sense because I've been able to just sit from my computer and access all these archives which has been awesome but I've also had to take a few trips to the archives in Ottawa Mm -hmm. um, to see some of the stuff that wasn't digitized Um, specifically the reason I first went to Ottawa was to see if I could find anything about Romanians being interned Mm -hmm. Um, so when I went up in October I looked up for that and I didn't quite find evidence of a Romanian that was interned um, but I think it's because it, I wasn't looking properly. Okay. I had found a list back in October of uh, Austrian reservists as the, the list said at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, these men that had been s- arrested at the uh, Canadian border with the US in Windsor um, who seemingly had bought uh, you know passages back to uh, the old country, mm-hmm. um, but their names were just so Romanian. I was like, okay. okay. <laughs> so that's a lot of the research that I do. I have to look at these Austrian reservists because in most of the documents, that's how I find them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I realized, okay, I can't look for Romanians because the ones that I'm looking for that would have been interned wouldn't have been Romanians. Right. I found a few. G- I found one guy in the records that had been arrested because they w- they thought he was an enemy alien. And then the co- the government or in the record they had said, oh no 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 he's Romanian like we're good, <laughs> so this is, he's a Romanian citizen like right. release mm-hmm. him. So clearly there were instances where um, they realized like no Romanians mm-hmm. are, are okay they're on the good side or they're not you know they're neutral at this point of the war. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but in other instances, perhaps whoever was in charge of the registrar didn't realize you know who the sit where this person was coming from where is Bukovina where is right. that map. Um, because similarly, there have been plenty of guys um, who have declared that they were born in Bukovina, Romania, mm-hmm. 
which if you don't know that Bukovina is not in Romania, well, like, whatever. Because at the time, <laughs> it isn't, right? Okay. So, But as a Romanian from Bukovina, you can just declare that you're from there. And, and there's a few of them who have and who made it, you know, to the front lines, uh, <laughs> even though they were from this group of uh, Romanians who otherwise some of them found themselves interned um, in Canada. So this is the, the interesting thing about my research is I have such a wide spectrum of experiences of Romanians. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look at looking at the CF files that tells me the experiences of Romanians that served, mm-hmm. uh, but then finding archives, uh, for example, from the RCMP. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the interesting thing that I didn't realize is I was looking through military records, but I actually needed to look more for uh, like police records okay. um, because that's what the internment records would have been under. And then so it, one of the things that really happens is you have to really familiarize yourself with the archive. The second time around, I had found this like great database um, w- that told me all the stuff about internment, where I can find these records. And that's when I was able to, again, find a list of Austrian reservists. Mm-hmm. And I'm using air quotations. <laughs> um, and again, I was able to look at their names and pull up the specific files because that part of the, mm-hmm. the archives research was well organized, so it was okay. Um, and then when I opened the file, I realized, okay, this Austrian reservist is actually not Austrian. He's a Romanian, mm-hmm. but he is considered to be Austrian because of you know the province where he's coming from. Um, and uh, it's, it's a few interesting circumstances like that where uh, clearly... For that, for the one man that I encountered that was interned, the, they were not budging. Like, no, he's from an en- enemy country. He seems to be dangerous. Like, he's going to stay interned versus, oh, no, like, uh, we didn't really notice exactly. So it sounds like, like our picture of Canadian history, our understanding of what happened, even, you know, less than or around 100 years ago, mm-hmm. like, it's changing and evolving all the time based on, you know, new records and documents that you found, uh, other information like these districts um, that you sort of happen to hear about Mm -hmm. is, and it just sort of blows my mind that like, even for our own country, even for a period of time where, you know, we were keeping records that we don't have a good idea of like what actually happened. Yeah, that's the interesting thing because a lot of the times, for example, I'll have a soldier's file mm-hmm. and I'll have his name. And to me, I'm thinking, okay, this is definitely not his name. Right. And I try <laughs> to, you know, cross-reference it with another archive because, like, you're right. There were archives from censuses and immigration. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of archives written. Um, but then it comes to how were they written? How was their name written in that ar- in that document? Mm-hmm. Um, is the name that they used in their attestation paper actually their real name or uh, did they choose to anglicize it that way was it anglicized for them upon arrival so there's like all these different things and it's so hard to actually trace some of these guys stories um there's some people that when i look them up like using databases for example like ancestry the only thing that comes up is their military file Hmm. um there's like no other record anywhere else and i'll try to tweak the name and change things up and I'll find a few more records that are similar in name and I'll kind of have to go by process of elimination and realize no this is not the same person Um, so I do spend a lot of time looking at records of people that don't matter to me (laughs) and then realizing after spending quite a lot of time looking at someone's file that no this person is not relevant to my research. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
and I've just essentially kind of wasted a little bit of time. I mean, it, just, it sounds like you're playing sort of detective. It is, with, it's with fun. Yeah? I definitely do feel like a detective sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like maybe that could have been a career option I, I could have <laughs> considered if I wasn't so interested in history. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's, it's something I wouldn't have discovered that I'm so good at had it not been for having to do historical research um, specifically into the files of soldiers from the First World War, uh, which I only really started doing um, because I had to do it at a, at a summer job that I had at a local military museum. So it just kind of all played into it, and I used that knowledge to kind of apply it to my schoolwork, and I realized, like, okay, I really like this. I'm super fascinated with uh, digging up, you know, people's lives from 100 years ago <laughs> and being Snoopy, because, you know, a lot of the, these, even, like, the military uh, records from the First World War are all digitized because there's no more privacy concerns. Mm -hmm. Most of these veterans have right. already passed away, right. whereas it gets a little bit trickier now if you want to go into studying the First World War, you need special, or sorry, the Second World War, um, you need special permission mm -hmm. uh, to look at certain archives. Um, a lot of times you won't have access if you're not directly a family member huh, or if yeah. you can't prove that you're a researcher. Uh, so that's why the First World War was also a little bit easier for me to mm -hmm. do uh, with my research because the archive is uh, easy to access, um, especially with it being digitized through Library and Archive. So, so Ilinka, now that you've you know gotten a better picture of what life was like for people back then, do you think there's anything, any sort of takeaway lessons uh, we might be able to apply to, you know, the situation we're living in right now? Yeah, um, I think one of the biggest things I reflect upon when looking at history is um, that it, uh, honestly, that thing of like the history repeats itself. It's right. certainly, mm -hmm. um, perhaps not exactly in the same way, uh, but this idea of discriminating and seeing somebody that's different from you as being the other um, I think that's definitely still something that even today in 2019 is mm -hmm. very common. Um, and I think a lot of these uh, these trends, like, for example, Islamophobia, or like now we've seen heightened an um, anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. um, it's just not really understanding. So kind of similar to what I'm looking at in my research is just not understanding the differences in these people, not understanding their religion, not really understanding their culture. Um, Sometimes perhaps you're labeling somebody um, as something, but they're of a completely different religion or mm. ethnic background, but you just don't know or, you know, so it's just uh, about staying kind of, you know, knowledgeable um, and about different peoples and cultures and um, try to, if you don't understand something or don't understand someone, try to educate yourself on it. Don't just lump them all in under this umbrella term um, because it could have unpleasant you know, turnouts for some unfortunate uh, ethnic minorities, mm -hmm. like the the group that I'm kind of looking at in my research. So, um, just don't be ignorant. You know, keep an open mind, especially yeah. you know, as university mm -hmm. students, you can't be ignorant. Yeah. So I think that's a great takeaway. Yeah. Don't be ignorant. Oh, I agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Linka, as you're wrapping up your research, your studies here at Western, what's uh, what's on the horizon? What's uh, What's in the future for you? Oh, my. Oh, that's a question that my parents would also probably love to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they're tuning um, in. The oh job prospects right now I have are a bunch of research jobs mm -hmm. um, in, like, IT. I'm like, who would have oh. known I'm getting these job offers for researching in IT companies? But, hey, whatever works. <laughs> research skills. They're handy. All right. Well, I'm, I'm sure you'll figure it out. I surely and, will. You know, have a good time <laughs> while you're at it. 
I will. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for coming back on GradCast and, you know, sharing this update to your research. Yeah, it was great. I'm glad I could update you guys. I was recently listening to the one from last year. I'm like, ooh, many things to, <laughs> to say since then. So I'm glad I was able to come back and do that with you guys again. Oh, well, we are always happy to have you back on. So that was Ilinka Olariu, uh, an MA student in history here at Western. You've been listening to GradCast with me, Yimin Chan, and Vicky Tellyos. We are a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at the University of Western Ontario. Catch us on CHRW Radio Western every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcasts. Visit our website at gradcast.ca. And if you'd like to get involved in producing the show, or if you'd like to come on as a guest, drop us a line at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Special thanks to Roger Hudson, our producer today. And that's been GradCast. See you next time. The GradCast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.